afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And a reminder that we're recording this this show in advance, so we won't be taking any calls today. Today's topic is really the question of affordable housing for the workforce along the coastal communities in Maine. As more people seek respite along the coast for retirement, for second homes, or for seasonal rentals, the escalation in housing prices has only made the problem more acute. So today we're going to visit three coastal communities to learn how they're approaching the question of affordable workforce housing. And we have representatives from the Ilaho Community Development Corporation, the Island Workforce Housing uh, Effort on Deer Isle, and Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island. So thanks to all of you for being with us. Molly uh, Siegel is with the Ilaho Community Development Corporation. Welcome to you, Molly. Thanks so much, Ron. Thanks for having me. Uh, Peter Roth is with us from the Island Workforce Housing Group in Deer Isle and Stonington. Welcome to you, Peter. Hi, Ron. Thanks again for uh, addressing this topic. Sure. And Marla O'Byrne is with the Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island. Welcome to you, Marla. And and perhaps we could get started with you and and, and maybe um, ask you, Marla, how you got involved in all of this um, this effort. Um, I served on a a workforce housing group that was part of a community visioning session in the early 2000s. Um, I was a member of that that committee that was looking at uh, the challenge of finding year-round housing on MDI. And um, that group contacted another organization and we revitalized it and I became a board member of that that second life of of another housing organization. Um, And I went from board member and now I'm the executive director. I've been executive director for three years. And the mission of the organization is to promote viable year-round communities by um, ensuring that we have permanent workforce housing on MDI. Great. So you've been at it a while. I have. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's great. Um, oh, Peter, tell us a little bit about your own background, how you got involved and in, in the group that you're working with, Island Workforce Housing on Deer Isle, Stonington. Well, I came at this more from my professional experience. I'm a semi-retired multifamily housing developer, uh, and I've summered up um, in the Deer Isle area from Cape Rozier to Brooklyn, off and on for 30 years, and um, about seven years ago, we bought a place on Little Deer Isle, just next to Deer Isle, and I noticed in the paper one day that there was a discussion about um, the housing crisis on the island happening at the town hall and decided to go and sit and and listen, Um, and realized this is a conversation that had been going on for 12 years. Um, 
with you know the lack of housing that ordinary workers could afford and the real dearth of year-round housing available to people, the high cost of housing generally. So I, given my background, I was able to sort of bring my perspective and my experience to, you know, community discussion that I think accelerated our ability on Deer Isle to, you know, form a nonprofit organization and sort of take on a concrete response in the form of um, some housing development. And I think, uh, Peter, you represent a, a sector that's often not um, readily present. Your experience as a, as a nonprofit housing developer um, is, is particularly valuable. And I'll come back to you in a, in a few minutes um, to learn more about that. Uh, Molly Siegel is with the Idaho Community Development Corporation. Molly, welcome and, and tell us a little bit more about how you got involved, um, perhaps uh, through the Island Institute. Yeah, great. Thanks. So Ilaho Community Development Corporation is also known as ICDC, um, and we're a nonprofit that's dedicated to maintaining a robust year-round population on Ilaho. Um, and we do that currently by providing below-market-rate housing, rentals, as well as microloans for island residents. And I've been involved since 2018 um, when I was started as an island fellow in Idaho. Um, so I was working for the Island Institute and I came to the island and um, worked for two years on affordable housing and some other projects. Um, quickly became apparent that housing was a really, really big issue um, and they just needed a little bit of extra um, manpower to, to kickstart some discussions about how to um, expand the, the availability of housing. And I'm no longer a fellow. I'm, I finished with my two-year fellowship. Um, and so I'm serving on the board now, as well as um, working to head up the recruitment effort because we're recruiting a, a new family to rent one of our three-bedroom homes on the island, which is pretty exciting. Each of you have described um, your mission as relating to the larger community. Molly, why don't we start with you? Um, not all of our listeners will be familiar with Isla Ho. Um, give us a thumbnail sketch, if you would. Sure. Idaho is a very small, remote, predominantly fishing community off of Deer Isle. Um, we have a, a wide array of summer residents and visitors that sort of supplement the year-round population um, for half of the year, um, mostly owing to the beautiful, the rugged natural beauty of the island. Um, some people might not know that over half of Idaho is part of Acadia National Park, so we have a ton of um, recreational opportunities and it brings a lot of visitors to the island. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, different textures to the community. It's a fishing community. It's a summer community. Um, a lot of folks work in construction, carpentry, caretaking um, to support that sort of tourism economy. So um, it's very interesting. There's a lot of layers to it. Um, but I would say the, the natural beauty is really what brings people here and, and makes people want to stay. Sure. Uh, Peter, um, if you could uh, describe what, you're, what you've observed about the community and the economy of uh, Little Deer Isle, uh, um, the, the, the main island of Deer Island, the Stonington area. Uh, well, similar to Isla Ho, uh, the Deer Isle-Stonington community is really a, a large you know, fishing community with um, you know, great attractions and uh, cultural activity, a lot of artists are on the island. We've got the Opera House Arts Organization, KSAC uh, Mountain School of Crafts is on Deer Isle. So there are a lot of reasons to attract 
people to to come seasonally, but also a lot of people to retire. Um, we're obviously a lot bigger. We're a bridged island, so um, but our population increases by almost 150 percent from April to July. So huge influx of tourism and seasonal residents. The other thing I'd say that's really important to know about Deer Isle Stonington is uh, we're two of the grayest communities in the grayest county in the grayest state in the nation. And our demographics are, are, are broadly skewed toward the older cohorts. Um, you know, it's challenging for young families to come and a find work you know b uh, find housing they can afford and consequently you know the the deficit of population uh you know under 35 is is an enormous issue for the island's long-term future and i think in addition to wanting to support the workforce uh, the, one of the strong drivers behind the creation of island workforce housing was to begin to change the environment that would enable younger workers and younger families to come back to the island and repopulate, uh, as I said, the younger cohorts. As an example, the average age in our volunteer ambulance corps in Deer Isle is over 65. So for a, for small towns that run on volunteers, um, you know we have a lot of volunteers, um, but they're a very very gray and they're enthusiastic. But when they're gone, we need younger people to replenish uh, that graying population. So that's one of the characteristics of, of the Deer Isle Stonington community that has driven a lot of our thinking as we've you know, sort of established policies and procedures and, in fact, decided to focus on the development of rental housing rather than the development of home ownership opportunities um, because rental housing is much more greatly needed by younger families who have yet to establish credit um, and save for down payments to purchase a home. Great. Marla, uh, Marla O'Byrne, um, tell us a little bit about um, how, how the Mount Desert Island community um, either compares or contrasts with um, these other two coastal communities. Um, I think we share tourism, certainly. Um, Mount Desert Island has four towns and several villages within those towns. Um, and we share the island with Acadia National Park. We have um, the largest unit of the park, of the three units on the island. Um, in 2019, before the pandemic, the park attracted 3.4 million visitors. Um, many of those, I believe, were probably MDI. And um, that makes tourism a, a huge economic generator for us. And it also means that housing is part of that economic generation. Our, our houses are being um, converted from year-round ownership or rentals to short-term rentals like Airbnb and Verbo as they grow in popularity. Um, plus, we, have, we compete with employers for seasonal 
housing too, seasonal employee housing. Um, MDI has a college and a hospital and uh, two major scientific research laboratories. One of them, Jackson Lab, is the largest employer in Hancock County. Um, and we have over 100 nonprofits. So uh, attracting em uh, employees and retaining them relies quite a lot on housing, people being able to find a place to live and not have to commute. I think all of our community communities have kind of constricted uh, access to the community for commuters, Isla Hose being the most distinctive. Um, but we also have one lane, on, you know, one road on and one road off, two lanes, and more than half of the employees on MDI commute, um, or at least they did in 2018. And I wouldn't be surprised after last year that there are more who are commuting uh, from off island. So, yeah, it's a challenge. It is. So um, you're, we're tuned here to Talk of the Towns. You've just heard from Marla O'Byrne from the Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island. Uh, Peter Roth is with us with the Island Housing Workforce, Island Workforce Housing on Deer Isle Stonington and Molly Siegel with the Ho Community Development Corporation. Marla, staying with you um, for a moment, perhaps uh, you could describe some of the strategies that you've employed to address this issue, especially around the workforce. Yeah, well, we started with a housing study in 2004 just to try to put some uh, scale to what we were looking at and what the changes were were like. And as part of that, we reached out to our community to get ideas. And um, and one of the ideas was town-owned land in the town of Mount Desert. And so the town donated that land to Island Housing Trust. And we created our first neighborhood. It's a clustered neighborhood of nine energy-efficient homes. Um, and we have two phases done creating those nine homes, and we have a third phase where we can build nine to ten more, and we've got that land banked for now. And from there, we um, we recognize that some houses are uh, essentially affordable to people earning a median income on the island, but oftentimes our, the people who work here haven't been able to save enough money to make a down payment that would then give them the, the terms that they needed for their mortgages. And so Island Housing Trust created a homeownership assistance program where we assist with down payments. We've been adaptable to opportunities. So we've been donated a house and it was moved onto land that was donated by the town of Mount Desert. We've purchased and renovated and resold the house We've worked with partners to acquire other houses. Um, and in the process, we've created a portfolio of 37 homes that are, are protected and, and owned by um, MDI Workforce. Mm. And, and um, how about the rental opportunities that, uh, that uh, Peter has mentioned? Are you working yes. on that as well? That's something that's been, uh, it, it's something we need to do. And we have, uh, looked at how we might be able to do that. We're a staff of three and we know that with rentals, you have lots of responsibilities and we would need to gear up to meet those responsibilities. So what we're doing now is looking at a possible partnership with another organization that does have that capacity for property management so that we could be, you know, the um, either the development or acquisition component and have a partner who would take on the, take on the property management for a fee. 
Uh, uh, Peter Roth, um, you said that you've, you're focusing or trying to focus on rental opportunities. Um, uh, how do you go about that? Uh, well, we decided to build some, some rental housing. Uh, we looked at a bunch of options, one of which was you know, buying up older homes and fixing them up. But, you know, with a rental portfolio, operating costs are really important. And, of course, energy efficiency is important. Um, and, you know, after a lot of careful thought, we decided to um, build, build um, compact, uh, super energy efficient uh, homes that are targeted to younger members of the workforce. They're two bedroom, one bath homes um, built in, in duplex buildings. So we're building a first phase uh, of five buildings, total of 10 units. Um, and Marla is right. The challenge of rental housing is that you know, once you develop it, you have to operate it. And we are sort of in the process of building not only the infrastructure within our own nonprofit organization, but also the relationships throughout the community to be able to maintain and, and operate that housing responsibly, developing policies, uh, focusing on you know procedures and the like. But we decided to build some high-quality, attractive uh, rental housing that we hope will really attract younger families to the island. Oh, that's and great. A... That's great. Um, Molly, what's the approach that um, the island, um, uh, the Isla Ho Community Development Corporation is, is pursuing most? What have you, what have you um, worked on? Yeah, so I think, like Marla said, the key for us has also been adaptability. Um, we're a very small organization. Um, we have only just recently started to, to have one part-time staff member. So we've been all volunteers since the 1990s when we were founded. Um, so it's all, it's been a challenge to, I think, to have a consistent strategy across all that time. And um, on such a on tiny island where we only have about 55 year-round residents, you kind of take what opportunities come to you and you address the needs that are most present at that time. So um, in the beginning, in the 90s, it was rental homes. So we built three um, original rental homes. They were um, fairly small, energy efficient, um, economic uh, salt box type homes. Um, and those homes have um, are all still um, standing, although two of them have been sold um, since to year-round residents. So only one of those remains a rental home. But then in 2012, um, with some funding from Maine Housing and partnership with the Genesis Fund, we were able to construct two uh, more new, uh, super efficient rental homes. Um, so we now have those two. And then we recently, um, a, a seasonal resident was selling his house and really wanted it to go back to the year on population. And we took that opportunity to acquire that house and uh, renovate it. And so it's now a year round rental. Um, so we've kind of taken a, um, a multifaceted approach. We have sold some homes, um, but rentals definitely remain the backbone of our strategy. Um, there are really very few rentals on the island that are remotely affordable to year-round residents. So um, that's what we've that's what we've focused on the most. And I think in the future we probably will continue to do that. Although um, if the opportunity came up and there was a, a really a family that really wanted to purchase a home, um, we might be open to that as well. Mm. What um, what? devices or mechanisms do each of you use um, to keep 
um, the, the housing stock that you participate in affordable over time. Um, Molly, you said that a couple of those homes uh, were sold. Um, were they sold on as affordable um, units? How do, how do you handle that question of affordability into the future? Yeah, um, that's a really important question. And I think for us, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, we have sold homes with covenants, um, but unfortunately, some of them were not quite as restrictive as they probably should have been. And um, that's just another function of being a tiny organization and having a lot of turnover and, and who's running it and um, limited staff time. And um, sometimes you just, you know, somebody needs the home and um, there wasn't necessarily a structure in place for, for how to ensure that would be um, perpetually affordable. But um, we do have covenants on the homes that were funded with uh, main housing uh, money. And so um, that's definitely something that we'll, we'll take in the future um, if we're going to sell any more homes. Mm. Um, Marla, how, how have covenants worked with your organization? Um, maybe describe what a covenant is and how they've been used and, and are they a, a useful device for keeping affordable uh, homes affordable? Um, well, covenants are uh, deed restrictions, essentially. They are an agreement with the buyer um, and Island Housing Trust that um, they will live in their house year round. They um, they are first um, considered their income eligibility. We have an income cap for, for households we work with and eligible buyers then undertake covenants. They agree to live in the house year round. They agree that if they make improvements, those improvements have to be um, accepted as, as improvements and not just maintenance for the house. Uh, they establish a resale formula. So when the homeowner wants to sell the house, we look at what they paid for the house, how the median income changed during their ownership time, and then adjust the resale price um, accordingly, tied, tied to the median income. There's a bit more to it, but essentially that's how that works. And um, since the first house in 2008, we've had 11 resales and we've been able to resell those houses to households that meet the same criteria, income criteria. So, so we're comfortable that it's working so far to keep those houses within the range of, of people working on MDI. And on the, the homeowner who participates does get um, some um, escalation in the, the equity so that they're not they're not um, losing anything that they've put into it. Is That's that right? right. They're able yeah. to build equity. And we saw last year um, and the end of 2019 as interest rates dropped and as there were other things going on, people were able to tap into their equity to be able to make improvements to their homes and so it was a good um, it was good for them to be able to have that financial support from their own work and paying their mortgage. <laughs> sure. Uh, Peter, um, with rentals, you're not quite so concerned about covenants, but I suppose that there's some both eligibility and kind of ongoing kind of monitoring in, in some way. How do you work all that out? Well, I think covenants uh, were important to our organization. Um, especially to assure that the original intent of the of the rental housing that we're developing is maintained over time. But I, it was also important to all of the supporters in the community that um, donated money to help this project move forward. 
that uh, there be a mechanism in place to maintain affordability over time. So we have a master covenant um, on the land that restricts use of the land to um, basically rental housing for moderate, low and moderate income households. Uh, we have some flexibility built into that range so that the board can determine, you know, from time to time what the specific uh, income targets are. But um, it was important to establish the, the durability of the affordability for many of the donors uh, who have gotten involved in supporting the effort, um, but also to assure that our mission was, was maintained over time. Mm. Well, let's stay with that topic of, of where each of you get your support and and um, why do people choose to support this when there are probably other um, philanthropic um, endeavors that they might get engaged in? Peter, what, what has inspired some of your donors to, to take this issue as seriously as they have? Well, they realize um, how local businesses struggle. I mean, they know how long it takes to get a plumber uh, to come and, you know, repair uh, your your bathroom sink or, uh, or someone to service your septic system. I mean, the, the service industry is really stressed on the island, but they also observe what's happening at the island nursing home where licensed beds are unavailable to a long waiting list of people that need them because they can't hire enough workers to staff the island nursing home adequately. So um, we all observe the challenge that our employers have um, tracking and, and keeping keeping folks. I will say that um, the donors tend to be more people from away than local islanders who come from places, you know, often larger cities where housing is a much talked about issue and affordable housing is sort of built into the DNA of the, of the cities and towns where people live off season. Um, but they've uh, been motivated by just realizing the need on the island to attract workers and the you know discussion that as I said it's been going on for almost 15 years about how tight the housing market is and now with Airbnb and VRBO you know sucking up every former formerly long-term rental project or long-term rental unit um, there's practically any long-term rental opportunities at all on the island. It's a it's a terrible crisis. Marla, how about your donors? Um, what's what's the the history of of, of support? Um, and and you've also had um, good luck working with municipalities. Talk a little bit about that relationship as well, if you could. Yeah. Well, for donors, um, I think you know the the seasonal community that comes up to MDI has been coming for generations. Many many people, many families. And um, and many others come up to to be in the park. There's a real tie and connection to the park, but there's also a tie to the community. So they see people they know. They've had people who've worked with them for generations as well. Um, they've 
served on boards together. So I think it's the relationships that have inspired people to give. They understand the communities. They, they can see the pressures that are happening. And um, whether you're here seasonally or whether you're here year round, the community is special and people want to make sure that it doesn't become a hollowed out shell of a community between November and April. Um, we know that part of what makes our communities special as, as they are everywhere is, are the people. And last year really emphasized that, how important it was to have year-round neighbors there who were part of um, both giving and receiving support during that um, very strange time and challenging time. And um, also the creativity in responding to the to the ability to try and maintain some sense of normality. So I'd say it's the relationships that have really inspired people to give. Um, the towns have recognized for the past several years, at least, um, <clears throat> at least, you know, publicly, they've recognized that uh, year round housing is their number one challenge. And so they have been very uh, willing partners in finding ways to work with us to help make it possible. Last year, as towns were cutting budgets because of changes in revenue, they all four towns for the first time uh, voted to support Island Housing Trust's home ownership assistance program because that's something they they believe you know makes a significant impact in their communities. Mm -hmm. Molly, how about you? What's the relationship with the the town of Idaho? Um, are, is the is the town the sponsor of the uh, Community Development Corporation? What's the relationship there? Yeah, um, so the town has has always been supportive of the ICDC um, and has worked as a partner with us. Um, this past year was the first time as well that the town um, supported ICDC um, financially. Um, for, for the purpose of funding our part-time staff person, um, just as a show of support for the work that the organization has been doing within the community. Um, and as far as fundraising, um, similar to what the other um, Marla um, said, the, um, you know, our, our community, our summer community is very well integrated with our year-round community. Um, and people have also been coming here for generations and they have seen the changes in the community and, um, and they know the people well, they know the fishermen. And um, we have several institutions on the island that really need a year round population in order to survive. So the one room K through eight school, um, we have a power company as well as a year round store that's, that's open um, and serves both year round and seasonal residents. Um, so as well, also the mailboat company, which is our lifeline to the mainland. So all of those institutions, if we didn't have a year round population, they would have a very difficult time um, surviving. And, and those institutions are all central to the life of the community. And so everybody, you know, seasonal year round alike recognize that, um, that that's a reality. And, and that if we don't um, really put in the work to support the year on population, um, those pillars of the community won't be able to make it. Mm, thanks. Um, you're listening to Talk of the Towns this afternoon. Um, with us are uh, Molly Siegel, you've just heard from, from the Idaho Community Development Corporation, Peter Roth from Island Workforce Housing on Deer Isle Stonington, 
and Marla O'Byrne from Island Housing Trust on Mott Desert Island. I'd like you to tell some stories, some vignettes, if you would, of some of the people that um, have in kind of used the housing that you've provided. Um, uh, Molly, could we start with you? What, what are some of your favorite stories that, that you tell about the, the, uh, the, the families who have been able to use your housing? Yeah, sure. So I think how I would answer that is just to tell you some of the um, occupations of the people that are housing right now. Um, so we've got a uh, fisherman, the island teacher, um, the owner of the island's only food truck, a select person, uh, the manager of the power company, um, the main contractor out on the island, um, all live in our rental homes, our four rental homes right now. Um, and, and during the past school year, five out of seven children in the K through eight school lived in ICDC rental homes. So I think, you know, without giving any real anecdotes, that just that kind of tells you all that you need to know. Um, and it's always been like that. But that has always been um, the sort of mix of people that are living in these homes. So, you know, if you were to take those homes away out of the rental stock, out of the housing stock, um, those people would have nowhere to live. So um, I think that's that's the closest that that I could get to help you visualize how important these are to the community. Right. It seems like in in the the, the smallest communities, um, the the greater the the integration um, with with the housing efforts that you're making. Um, Peter, tell us a little bit about um, either who you are serving, um, who's been in in the the housing, or who you aspire to to uh, to involve. Well, it's a brand new organization with our first housing now under construction. We don't have any. Uh, success stories yet, but I can tell you, you know, who we hope to house. Um, you know, we're hoping to attract people who work on the island year round who cannot afford to live on the island, basically, mm. uh, to put it most simply, so that uh, we're able to use this rental housing as a stepping stone onto the island for for younger workers and their families. We're also going to be providing um, first-time homebuyer training and credit counseling to really prepare uh, our rental um, families for homeownership to help that transition uh, uh, when the time is right for them. But um, you know that's that's kind of who we're hoping to focus. Not not any real industry focus. I think everything from you know Sternman to uh, teachers and tech heads at the school to uh, CNAs at the nursing home uh, to folks in retail, um, a broad range of of need, uh, and um, I think you know there's a lot of buzz and a lot of people interested already in uh, signing up when the time comes. Great, um, and and Marla, maybe you could describe um, some of the the kinds of families that you've uh, yeah. had involved. Yeah. So um, we have a town employee in one of our villages living in the houses. We have several park employees, teachers, paramedic, carpenters. Um, I think there were in 2019, there were two houses that we sold and they show kind of the uh, different ends of the spectrum for me also in, in living here on MDI. So one house we sold was to a person who's a paramedic and works also locally year round, but she was considering having to leave. She was in that winter rental, summer rental cycle 
with a son in high school and finding it difficult to find those winter rentals um, that were where she needed to be. Um, and the summer rentals were also a challenge. And it's just an unstable kind of way of, you know, having your household function. So she was thinking moving to another part of the state where she had other family living. But we this house came along and she was able to stay, which was great. We were all happy about that. The community was all happy about that. And another house we sold that same year was um, to a young couple with a child. And... Um, the, the wife had grown up on MDI and she wanted, they both wanted to come back and raise their daughter here near her parents and, and where she grew up and she knew it was a terrific place to, to be a child. And uh, we were, we had a house that was within their price range and size. And so I think, you know, for me, it demonstrates it's one way to help people stay on the island. It's another way to make sure that people who grew up here might have an opportunity to come back. Mm. Yeah. So one of the the things that um, I've heard, um, especially when when much of this work got started, was um, some kind of um, belief that um, oh you're helping people that don't really deserve help in in some way. What's what what's behind some of that? I, I think that they were expecting that the that the the marketplace would take care of of the housing needs of the communities. Um, have have you encountered that argument, um, any of you? And and how do you respond to that notion that the marketplace um, should take care of our housing needs versus some kind of a nonprofit or a government uh, program? Marla, could we start with you and see where where, where you've heard that? Um, well, we heard that early on in the early two thousands, and I think the problem was not as as extreme as it is now. We never hear that anymore. Um, what we do here is we need to be doing more. And I think that's our challenge. We need to be doing more to make the impact. Um, I think, you know, people know that the marketplace is, it's, um, it's competing commercially as well as residentially. So our houses have many purposes for seasonal employees, for uh, summer rentals, for uh, year-round employees. It, there needs to be a balance and, and that um, isn't happening naturally. So Island Housing Trust and other organizations are you know, a housing authority and um, we're trying to help provide that balance. And you know, we started several years ago um, making sure that we make clear that Island Housing Trust is working for the communities, not for the homeowners and eventually renters, but for our communities, because these people who are buying the houses to live here year round and work here on the island are giving more actually than they're receiving from what we do. All of this is done to make sure that our communities stay strong and resilient and vibrant year round. So um, that's that's a persistent message that we put out there. And I don't think it's a tough message. I think many people understand it. Well, and that gets to Peter's um, description earlier of being a very gray community. Um, and I remember, um, because I happen to live on Mount Desert Island as well, um, that early discussion was, who's going to be volunteering in our organizations? Who's going to be on the school board? Who's going to be um, a member of the volunteer fire department or the ambulance corps? Who's going to help with the libraries? And there, there was this recognition that if we didn't have <laughs> year-round residents, we were going to lose a lot. 
So that that speaks to that that overall concern. Peter, you've been, um, as you said earlier, um, this has been part of your professional career. How does this um, your experience in in uh, uh, housing development impact this, or or kind of relate to this question of the marketplace versus um, the need for a nonprofit or uh, quasi government help? Well, I. <clears throat> I should say that the bulk of my development work was in Massachusetts, which is probably one of the ripest uh, sort of affordable housing environments in the country, maybe second only to parts of the West Coast and and maybe New York City. Um, Massachusetts has been extremely forward-looking and sort of developing policies, understanding the positive economic impact of affordable housing, um, but also in developing funding programs. Um, Not so much the case here in Maine, um, so it's been more of a challenge. But, you know, I think the, the island that we're working on is a place where you know, people work very hard to make ends meet. Uh, people fish during the summer. They carpenter and do odd jobs in the, the winter time. They they really work hard to put together, you know, a, a viable living to maintain their families, and and it's hard. <laughs> uh, there's there's no doubt about that. And I think you know, to your question about the the concerns about a, a hand up to folks. Um, you know, somewhat comes naturally to uh, hard-working, you know, people that have toughed it out over the over the decades to be able to stay in the community and raise their families here. So, um, so uh, you know, the 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 challenges are very similar. There's still a lot of you know nimbyism in Massachusetts, despite its progressive stance on affordable housing and inclusion. Um, I think there's less of a dialogue, but dialogue is less mature here in Maine because there has been, you know, a a fair amount of affordable housing in most parts of the states and and in the rural parts of the state. Um, You know, there's not the affordability crisis that's driven by the tourism industry and folks that want to, you know, have a summer place or a year-round retirement home in a gorgeous place like Idaho or, or Deer Isle or or Mount Desert. So the pressures are a little different, but I think the, the dynamic of sort of community interaction and understanding of the need um, is something that, you know, sort of grows over time. And I, I my viewpoint is that in, in, in Deer Isle and Stonington, uh, while we've been, t- while a certain sector of the population has been talking about this for 15 years, I think the broader conversation across the island is relatively new. Um, but it's coming along, and we've seen some uh, real support, and uh, it's very heartening. 
what about um, the the partnerships um, off of the, your islands? Um, um, you've mentioned the state housing program. Um, there, are there other? You mentioned the Genesis Fund, um, uh, uh, Molly. What are what are some of your broader partners that aren't necessarily directly in the community? Molly, could you speak to some of those partnerships? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I mentioned the big ones. The Genesis Fund has been um, a really good partner to us. They're always open to conversations about um, what the next funding opportunities are that are coming up. And, um, you know, they've advised us on on what our strategy should be, um, as well as main housing with the with the most recent construction projects. Um, we've also worked with the Island Institute a lot, um, primarily just to connect us with other island communities. Um, We've done a lot of outreach to, to other um, island housing groups. I think I, I definitely reached out to Marla at one point when I was researching what was happening on other islands. And we've spoken to, I think, um, people on pretty much all the other unbridged and, and some of the bridged islands in Maine just to learn about what they were doing. Um, sometimes, well, oftentimes we find ourselves working in sort of a vacuum because, you know, we are so isolated and we have to remind ourselves to reach out to other folks that are experiencing the same issues that we are. So it's been really helpful to talk with folks who have who've been through these issues before and are maybe facing some of the same unique challenges as we are. Marla, I, I seem to recall that um, Island Housing Trust um, reached out to folks as far away as Martha's Vineyard because they had experienced some of these things 20 years before and they had some, some lessons. Um, tell us a little bit about that connection if you could. Yeah. So Martha's Vineyard was uh, really our first mentor. We um, worked with a, a consultant for our housing study who had worked with them. We had one of their, uh, I think their founding board members uh, come up and talk with us about how they structured and what their values were as well and philosophy, which means how they worked with their communities too. And that helped us think about it. And in the intervening years, we've reached out and learned from Champlain Housing Trust in Vermont and Jackson Hole Community Housing Trust in Wyoming, other places that have similar sort of destination challenges, uh, you know, um, that kind of demand on their housing. Um, we've also worked with Grounded Solutions. Um, we are moving towards a land lease model um, now with some of our properties, which means that we retain ownership of the land and sell the improvements, and that helps keep the cost down. Um, Grounded Solutions was the is a national organization that supports community land trusts, and while we um, we don't identify as a community land trust, that we use certainly some of their models. Um, for tools. Mm. Yeah. So and, we've learned from the organizations in the state too. And and you probably are also busy working on the projects you're working on. Uh, the other level at the community level is is how our local ordinances either supporting or getting in the way of housing affordability. Um, um, and I, I don't know what your experience is with, with those kind of policy questions. Um, uh, Peter, have, um, have you, in, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, your experience in Massachusetts, that's where that level of, forgive the word, sophistication has, has come into play where many times developers of other projects are expected to, to uh, provide for some affordable housing um, at the same time. Is that that right? Well, that's correct. I mean, in most urban parts of Massachusetts, all projects are required to have an affordable component. Um, 
you know, if they receive any any form of zoning relief or permitting assistance or the like. Um, uh, you know, what we quickly discovered is that there's a real dearth of, of planning and sort of, you know, land management policy uh, on the island. It's, it's a place that generally has eschewed regulation. Um, and, uh, you know, as a consequence, uh, most of the default uh, land use plans, you know, sort of go to the, the handful of state regulations, uh, which were really designed to cover, you know, unincorporated rural parts of the state. Um, so, you know, for example, the density that our um, that our zoning required, uh, or the lack of density that our zoning <laughs> required is probably a better way to put it, um, you know, required us to have 14 acres of land for only 10 units of housing. Um, you know, whereas in Massachusetts, I think, of course, this is an urban project in Boston, but the last project I developed in Boston probably had, you know, a density of something like 80 dwelling units to the acre. Um, so the policies really haven't caught up with the need, I would say, um, now, which is understandable in a local community without without a lot of you know planning or other resources. Great. Um, I think that's where the state really can can come in to um, begin to foster programs and policies that will help smaller communities um, address this need. And uh, you know they're certainly recognizing that in Maine housing and beginning to think about this in the sort of policy innovation areas of state government here in Maine. Marla, I think you're you're um, one of the projects that you're working on um, is actually probably going to um, the planning board. Is it tonight? Tomorrow. <laughs> or is, well, tomorrow. So um, you, you've got to inter interact with a local zoning. Um, tell us about the Jones Marsh project and and how um, zoning is part of the, the dilemma that you've got to to work on. Yeah, um, the Jones Marsh project is. Uh, 30 acres on which we are going to use uh, approximately 20 to build 10 um, housing units, uh, a mix of single family and duplex uh, for sale. And going through the process has been an education for me because I've never done that permitting process. Going through this with the town of Bar Harbor, which has very elaborate zoning ordinances, um, has also been an education, and I would say it's also an expensive project to do that, that permitting. Um, it's been interesting that the affordable, affordable um, zoning ordinances have been tailored, of course, for um, commercial development. But for a nonprofit that's working on affordable housing, our approach is somewhat different. So it meant that we needed to go through and think about how are they different and how do we ask for these um, changes or exceptions in our permit. And it's been an education. And, you know, I couldn't have asked for better partners. The planning board and the planning staff have been as helpful as they can be. It's just, it's complicated. <laughs> it's right. Our, our, Subdivision permit plan is over 100 pages, and 
trying to go through and make sure we've got everything done. We have three design consultants working with us and yeah, it's. So if, if all goes well, um, when might you start to, to see construction at Jones Marsh? Well, I don't know about the state permitting, but I don't think that should be too long. So we are hoping to start in the fall. Great, great. Yeah. Molly, what are, what, what's, what are your projects that you're w working towards? Anything new on the horizon for you? Um, yeah, so I guess I'll mention again that our um, immediate concerns are with filling the vacancy in a rental home that we have right now. Um, and so we're currently recruiting a family to fill this three-bedroom rental. Um, so we're accepting applications. Um, and then I think a little bit further down the line, we've um, had some conversations with the town about possibly taking on some of the rental homes that they maintain um, because the town also owns, um, I believe, four rental homes on the island. Um, so that they have been maintaining sort of in rentals. And in order to achieve some of those economies of scale um, and consolidate the property management on the island, we've discussed taking on the management of some of those homes um, and also possibly being able to do some renovations to those homes um, with more funding that we might be able to qualify for by being sort of a larger entity that that has more projects in the works. Um, so that's a little bit of a next step. And then I think more long term, um, it's really important for us to um, to expand the availability of housing specifically for um, single people and smaller families, such as couples that aren't necessarily maybe the best fit for a three bedroom rental, but are still badly in need of housing on the island. Um, and so that's that's something that's really lacking right now and has been identified by the community as a really important next step for us, um, because we've done a pretty good job of providing housing to families with children. Um, but there's also this other group of people that is really badly in need and is essential to the workforce. Um, and, you know, we don't want them to feel like they're left out. And we we want to dissolve any sort of tension that there might be between attracting new families and supporting the people that are already here, um, doing the work, contributing to the community, um, but might not be the best fit for uh, for a full family rental home. So I would say that's that's sort of the, the next step that we have. And um, we're lucky enough to have some land, um, both that ICDC owns and the town also has some land that's been designated as affordable housing zones. And so we're, we're pretty lucky in that way that um, we're, we're not lacking for land, but um, but the costs to develop the land are quite substantial. Um, so it's it's gonna be a big undertaking. Great. Peter, what, what's next for, for your group on, on Deer Isle Stonington, the, the Island Workforce Housing Group? Um, you've got units in, in kind of construction now. Um, what follows that? Well, we, our strategic plan sort of follows the housing needs assessment that we did to sort of launch our, our development activity um, that calls for developing 30 units of, of year-round rental housing. So um, we're, we know we're going to learn a lot from the, from the leasing of our first 10 units. So our plan is to identify a site in the town of Stonington. Our, our current project, Oliver's Ridge, is in the town of Deer Isle. Um, and we want to uh, spread the joy of affordable housing throughout the island. So uh, we are beginning to look uh, at land parcels in Stonington. Um, and 
but we're going to take it slow. We want to make sure that we've uh, absorbed all of the lessons that can be learned from our first phase of work before we um, set off to um, raise another million and a half bucks to to do a second phase of, of, of work. But well, it's good. very exciting to have uh, site work in place for our first phase, and hopefully we'll start vertical construction in the next month. Oh, that's great. Well, in the in the very short amount of time, we've got about a minute and a half left. Um, could you kind of um, give information about how people can learn more and perhaps a, a one-line um, description of what you hope for in the future? Marla, could we start with you? What's, how do people get in touch with um, Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island? We have a website, islandhousingtrust.org. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Um, email links on there. And what we hope for the future um, is to have our community uh, understand better what we do and what the opportunities are and to participate and really get behind more, more year-round housing, <laughs> rentals and ownership. Peter, how about you? How, how would people learn more about Island Workforce Housing on Deer Isle Stonington? www.islandworkforcehousing.org. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, um, and links, of course, there. Um, uh, we're hoping for a successful phase one and uh, continued and growing support from the community for, for what we do. I think, um, you know, the goal of creating a stepping stone onto the island for younger young for members of the workforce and their uh, burgeoning families is, is really the, the big picture goal. And we're excited to, to see that happen. Molly, very briefly, um, how do they find out more about Ilaho Community Development Corporation and what uh, a one-line description of your hope? Yep, our website is ilaho.org. Anybody who's interested in applying for the current rental opportunity can go to that site to find an application. And I just hope that uh, this community will remain a good place to grow up and to raise a family. Wonderful. Thank you. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from four to five on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. Uh, our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Molly Siegel, Ilaho Community Development Corporation, Peter Roth, Highland Workforce Housing on Deer Isle Stonington, and Marla O'Byrne, Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Andy Brown to help engineer our program. And stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg from 6 to 8. This is Ron Beard, producer and host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon.